Just a quick bulletin for those who normally listen to this podcast. Uh, I don't want to get into it, but uh, Stuber Gear, um, we're just going to leave it at innocent until proven guilty. He should be back on the podcast tomorrow. I think the judge is just going to, uh, you know, let it go. I, de- I don't think it was that big of a deal, but we'll find out. Uh, Stu will probably be with us tomorrow. In the meantime, Pat Gray is uh, filling in for Stu. And we've got a fantastic podcast for you today. Stuff you're not going to hear anywhere else, including Oppenheimer. We are telling you the story of the bombing, unlike anyone else can. Wait until you hear it. That and so much more on today's podcast brought to you by Relief Factor. Are you in pain? Why not get out of pain? It can't be that hard. Just think your way out of it. Get over it. Come on, shake it off. Oh, I love all of those things. Stop whining. Um, okay. Does anybody have another suggestion? Why, I do, friend. It's called Relief Factor, and you can get it for three weeks. Just try it for three weeks. Why only try it for three weeks? Well... 70% of the people who try it for three weeks go on to order more. Thus, we can... And think that maybe people don't have money? No, no, friend. That maybe it only works for about 70% of the population. So try it. The three-week quick start, 1995, relieffactor.com or 1-800-THE-NUMBER-4-RELIEF. 1-800-4-RELIEF. ReliefFactor.com. Thanks, friend. Here's your podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Welcome to the program. It's uh, Glenn and Pat. Stu is, I'm just, let's just innocent until proven guilty. We'll leave it at that. Tell you more later. Uh, it should be, I mean, he was, uh, he's, I mean, he's unavailable right now, but I think the attorneys will have this all cleared up and he'll be back tomorrow. Um, a Lowe's employee was fired from her job for attempting to stop shoplifters trying to steal over $2,000 worth of merchandise in Georgia. Now, let me, let me say this i really would like to bring to you with the understanding that there are two kinds of people in america there are the kind of people that create good things in america and those that enable really bad things to happen in america donna hannesborough previously worked at the low store in rinson georgia it was uh, last week i think no it was four weeks ago it was in june 25th the then employee attempted to thwart a shoplifting attempt. Three suspects reportedly loaded up a shopping cart with merchandise and exited the home improvement store with the stolen items. The police department said in a statement, Lowe's employee, Donna Hasboro, uh, Hansboro, attempted to stop one of the subjects by grabbing the shopping cart. She did not at any time make contact with any person. The cart that Donna grabbed was in the possession of a subject, Taika Berry, 
After Donna grabbed the cart, Barry struck Donna in the face three times, causing Donna's right eye to swell and blacken. The police department identified the other two shoplifting suspects as Jamar Lawton and Joseph Barry, the uncle of uh, Takea Barry. Police say they had arrested Lawton, but are still searching for the uncle and the niece suspects. Authorities say that trios stole merchandise worth $2,100. Police said Lowe's fired Hansborough for attempting to stop the theft, which violated the company's policy against intervening with shoplifters. Hansborough had worked for Lowe's for 13 years. They say if you see somebody stealing something and taking it out the door, not to pursue, not to go out. I lost it. I grabbed the cart. I don't actually remember going out, but I did. And I grabbed the cart that had stolen items in it. I just get, t- I just get tired of seeing things go out the door. I just lost it. Thank you. I, I, I want to get her on the air. Uh, Sarah, can you ask one of our producers, see if we can get Donna on the air? I would really like to talk to her because that is who we should be. You can't have these companies that are just saying, yeah, just let them go. If you let them go, it's only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. What one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces. So what does that mean as it gets worse and worse? Do we still happen to have the uh, video from San Francisco? Uh, from the mall uh, last week. I think it was in Friday's uh, stack of stuff. Uh, it, it is, it's amazing. The, one of the biggest malls in San Francisco, right down by the harbor, beautiful mall, ghost town. Absolute ghost town. This guy took on YouTube, he just took a tour of it and showed empty, empty, empty. Not a soul in the place. There was like one, I think it was a nail salon in it. And it's got a Hyatt Regency attached to it. It, it, was, a, it was a really nice place. Uh, now it's just so dangerous. Nobody can, nobody can do anything. What do you suppose, Lowe's, your policies lead to? You either have to work for companies that get this. And if your company is this far off the base, they are part of the problem. They will only increase the danger in your neighborhood. If they don't, if cops, I mean, not cops, if uh, robbers just feel they can get away with anything and nothing's going to be done, you will be ruled by the worst kind of people, whether they're in office or just ruling your streets. It's, it's insane. And everybody who is doing it, every person that is in a city and it's happening to you, you have to stand up. You have to stand up to your city council. You have to stand up to your mayor or your governor or whoever's launching this garbage. Ugh. Otherwise, we're going to lose it all. Uh, and that's why... How many businesses have moved completely out of San Francisco now? It's been, I mean, this was months oh. ago. It was at least two dozen. And I think it's way more than oh, that. Oh, it's now. more than that. Yeah, I think it's oh, way more than like that. Oh, it's like Nordstrom's is gone. The big stores are gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, try to get medicine from a CVS, gone. 
it just get they can't handle the theft anymore and that's why you see you see so many convenience stores or stores in downtown San Francisco locking everything up uh you there's nothing you can go buy at at uh at a convenience store in San Francisco anymore uh, without the employee coming in and locking that area because people just so come bad. in and steal it all so bad i, I went to a CVS or a Dwayne Reed when I was in uh, New York last time, uh, I think it was around Christmas last year, and it was insanity. You, there were employees that had keys mm-hmm. for every single row, and if you wanted something, you had to wait for the guy with a key to get into that row, and it was like toothpaste. Yeah. Can you imagine? Uh, it, was like, it was like a prison pharmacy. It was crazy. How much has that hampered their business, too? I mean, the sales have to go down a lot because of that and nobody wants that well you're not just you're not just grabbing stuff off the shelf you know you know uh, there's right. there's there's anything that you're like i don't know i'll give that a try that's over mm-hmm. you go specifically for what you're looking for hey an update for you on friday we brought you the exclusive that fox news corporate had a program that matched donations to charities like uh, Planned Parenthood, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and the Satanic Temple. They were matching 100% donations to the Satanic Temple and others. Uh, My producer, Ricky, saw it with her own eyes via video tour from a whistleblower inside, spoke with three sources inside of Fox to confirm. We showed you the evidence in the screenshots and then did our due diligence and asked Fox, why would they match donation to charities that hate Fox News and go against their audience's values? Would it be a would it really be a shame uh, for you if they were using Fox Nation subscriber money? to match donations to these charities. We also asked them why Billy Graham's Evangelicus, uh, Evangelicus, <laughs> Evangelical Association was not eligible for donation matching. Uh, maybe it had to do with a DEI-like donation policy, or maybe it was just a glitch. We don't know. We started our investigation on their portal. There uh, has been an update now showing that an invitation to Billy Graham charity had been sent to join the Fox Giving program. Now, that's curious because that makes you understand that groups like the Satanic Temple are not auto loaded, it seems, into the Fox Giving portal by third party apps. If invitations to join the portal are being sent, we can't confirm the little mystery there because they never got back to us, even though we have uh, haven't really heard a peep from Fox. Our source noticed a pretty big update over the weekend on Wednesday night. We pulled a screenshot from the portal where we could see on the screen how the Satanic Temple was eligible for 100 percent donation a match from Fox up to $1,000. We showed it to you on Friday's broadcast. You're seeing it now if you're watching The Blaze. By Sunday morning, the Satanic Temple was still in their Fox Giving portal, but you can see it's no longer eligible for donation matching. Oh, so now just the (laughs) Satanists that want to give, they can give. We'd like to know. We've reached back out to Fox to ask, and we'll keep you updated uh, if we hear anything back or see anything change. This is incredible 
how far Fox has fallen. Thus, the dump Fox uh, promo code, perhaps, where you get $30 off your subscription. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, here's one thing we don't do. We don't uh, give money to Planned Parenthood. Or Verizon, uh, or or uh, or the Satanic uh, Temple, the Satanic Temple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't do that. And so yeah. you won't I match don't give funds anything to going the Southern to that? poverty, huh? That's no, weird. Uh-uh. Weird. no, no. I won't do it. I won't do it. Isn't that discriminatory, um, you know, Glenn? Do. Isn't that discriminatory? Hmm? Isn't that a little bit discriminatory? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I have what's called a discriminating taste. <laughs> you know, it used to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're like, oh, I don't know. It's my money. I want to mm-hmm. put it to the right place. Let me think about it and use some discrimination to say Satan, God. Mm-hmm. Ah, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with God. I'm going to go wow. with God. And, okay. You know. And it's hard because Fox News is so much, much bigger than I am. Uh, so they got a lot of money going to that satanic temple, <laughs> which, by the way, I am so done with people saying, oh, they're not really Satanist. <laughs> what would you expect a Satanist to say? Going to tell you the truth? We don't really. Yeah, we are, we're not really Satanists. We just do that, you know, and we say that and, you know, put Satan statues around, <laughs> around you know. Uh, because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's provocative, you know, it's provocative and, uh, you know, gets people to think, does it? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, you know, uh, sure, 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 sure. We've gone to court, uh, to, uh, try to, uh, force New Mexico to, uh, uh, you know, give us, uh, give us the, the go ahead on the, uh, ritualistic abortion ceremony that we do. Uh, but that's you know, nothing that, to do with he, Satan, he, though, right? Not, no, nothing to do with no. Satan. No, no, we're just ritualistically killing a baby. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that do that, you know, <laughs> that, that aren't connected to Satan. Um, can't think of any right now. Uh, but uh, did you just see the Gallup poll that shows that uh, belief in God is down to 74 percent in America now? And uh, and they did five spiritual entities. They did God, hell, heaven, uh, angels, and the devil. 74% believe in God. Only 58% believe in the devil. I, I, how is that possible that there's not... You, if you believe in well, one, he wouldn't you... Exist. Yeah, right. Exactly. No, he does not exist. <laughs> exactly. Everybody says that uh, the devil exists. They uh, have no idea what they're talking about. Just a guy with a deep voice mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. points on his head, but other than that, no, nothing to it. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. So let's start with the movie Oppenheimer, and and some of the things that will bring it to life. If you happen to be um, at the museum when we. We took it on the road here recently, and by the way, I'm uh, having meetings hopefully next month with uh, some companies that will help us take it on the road all next year, so it can be seen all over the country. It is truly remarkable, and I want to just show you, uh, this was just one small section 
uh, of the World War II section. And it, it revolves around everything that Oppenheimer did. Um, when we dropped the bomb, uh, we had no idea what it was going to do. We have now in the collection, and this was just um, purchased, so we don't have the physical object with me, and I can't give you the, the full, um, I can't read you the whole thing uh, because I don't have it yet. But it was a, a letter uh, to his mom and dad. Uh, he was the co-pilot of Enola Gay. He also was asked to keep a calendar, a, you know, a, a TikTok, if you will, minute by minute, what was happening. And I've read the original, and it is unbelievable. But let me give you the summary of it here, because I don't have the original. Briefing at 2400, eating at 0030, mom and dad. We started engines at 0227. We taxied out and took off at 0235. We then got off the ground at exactly 245. At the last minute before takeoff, our cruising altitude had been changed, which means possibly a rougher trip. Starting out as an uneventful flight, he then continues to record as the bomb technicians make the final adjustments to the bombs. At 0320, Items 1 through 11 were completed by Captain Parsons. In an echo of his hope to fly the mission and his resentment at being relegated to co-pilot, he says Colonel Tibbetts has been hard at work with the usual tasks that belong to the pilot of a B-29. As the hours count down, he begins to write, and now everything is in the dark. There, is, there are no lights inside the B-29. They don't want any indication that this plane is up. He begins to write everything in the dark. And you can see sometimes his handwriting is very slanted and goes into other lines. By, zero five, uh, by zero 0552, it's beginning to be real light outside. Then climbing to 9,000 feet. We'll stay here until we're about an hour away from the Empire. Then the bomber makes a rendezvous with two other B-29s equipped with observation and photographic gear. Together, the three aircraft climb to an altitude of 30,000 feet. Everyone will be relieved when we have left our bomb and get halfway home. Better yet, all the way home. At 0730, he writes, we are loaded. The bomb is now alive. It's a disturbing and funny feeling knowing it's right in back of you. Now, at this point, Hiroshima has been identified as the primary target. Two secondary targets had also been selected in the event of unfavorable weather conditions. The two scout planes radio back information on the conditions, uh, you know, cloud conditions, etc., etc., over the targets. We just received a report that our primary is the best target. So we will make a run on Hiroshima. Right now, we're 25 miles from the Empire. Finally, the crews were in place, and it was time to execute the mission. Quote, there'll be a short intermission while we bomb our target. This was followed by a brief blow-by-blow uh, description of the bomb run. 
culminating in the detonation at 8.16.02 a.m. For the next minute, no one knew what to expect. The bombardier and the right seat jockey, or pilot Tibbs, both forgot to put on their dark glasses and therefore witnessed the flash, which was terrific. Fifteen seconds after the flash, there were two very distinct slaps on the ship. Then there was all the physical effects that we felt. We then turned the ship so we could observe the results. And there, in front of our eyes, was it, without a doubt, the greatest explosion man has ever witnessed. He then, on the paper, draws what he saw. Struggling for words at this minute, he finally continues. I am certain the entire crew felt this experience was more than any human had ever thought possible. It just seems impossible to comprehend. Just how many did we kill? I honestly have a feeling of groping for words to explain this. Or I might say, my God, what have we done? If I live a hundred years, I'll never quite get those few minutes out of my mind. That's from the co-pilot of the Enola Gay, the little boy mission, number one. We did it again. But we did something else before we dropped this bomb. Because of Oppenheimer... Because they had seen it, and they did not ever want it dropped. Harry Truman knew if we drop this bomb, it will mean that uh, we'll probably come to an end of this war, and it will actually save lives. Because the, the uh, Japanese had been convinced by the emperor that we were savages, and that we were worse than uh, their worst nightmare. And remember, they were, I believe, the Japanese in China were worse than the, the uh, Germans with the Jews. They were, they just slaughtered them in just such brutal, brutal ways. Um, they were just, they weren't people, just like the Germans didn't see Jews as people. But because Oppenheimer saw what could be done and all of the scientists involved knew the destructive power, they made Truman a deal. You can only drop this if you warn the people. And so if you're watching Blaze TV, Pat will hold up. Uh, how many do you have? One or two? I have two. Uh, one, the okay. first one is the uh, the planes dropping bombs on one side, so like a yes. photograph of that. Uh, and on the flip side of that are the words that they sent to the Japanese. So, in other words, uh, this is coming your way, and then they tell them what to do about it. Right. They say we're you're not our enemies. Uh, we're picking these ten cities, and in the next ten days. We will drop a bomb of more destructive power uh, than is imaginable. And please leave. You're not our enemy. Take food and water with you. We dropped 70 million on 10 cities before we dropped each bomb. 70 
million leaflets. Nobody had ever done that wow. ever in the history of the world. But nobody in the history of the world had ever seen anything like the atomic bomb. What else do you have there? Uh, it looks like a Japanese family on one side. Um, yes. And, and saying the same thing. Saying the same thing on the other side. Yeah. Telling them to get out. So we get have, out of Dodge. Yeah. We, we, have, uh, we have several uh, of those um, uh, leaflets. And that's not something I was ever taught when I was in school. So we drop the bomb. And let me show you the first bomb in Hiroshima. We have, do you have just regular coins? These are just yeah. Japanese coins. Mm-hmm. So yep. hold those up to the camera. These are just, just okay, just normal coins. Yeah. Like three of them. Just teeny, teeny. Tiny. Yeah, they're like pennies or dimes. Smaller yeah. even than a penny. Um, yeah. So th- they were, that, those are the Japanese coins that would have been on somebody's desk or at a bank. But there was a stack of coins um, we don't know where, but there was a stack of coins at Hiroshima, all stacked up. When the when the blast hit, uh, it fused a stack of coins together. Mm-hmm. Maybe and there's ten of have, them are here, or fifteen, something like that, and they're yeah. all fused, and they're from the heat, all just fused and yeah, burned. We have show the regular marble. Uh, Pat, there was a marble at uh, Hiroshima, and that's the regular. It's just like a big Aggie, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't have an American flag in it, but uh, just a big Aggie. Now, this is the same marble that was within the blast site, and it has just been exploded from the inside. It's 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 a little bigger inside too, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Pat. Yeah, it's quite a yeah. bit bigger, and mm-hmm. yeah. And it just, uh, the heat just exploded it from the inside. It's crazy looking. Amazing. So Hiroshima didn't work. So we had to do it again. Little boy was mission number one. Fat man was number two. And we dropped leaflets. You've never seen the size of Jesse, uh, Jeffy. He's enormous. (laughs) He will kill everybody in the area. Um, oh, no, it was a different uh, fat boy. Uh, so <laughs> fat boy, we dropped over Nagasaki. What most people don't know is the history of Nagasaki. So I think one of the more incredible things we have in our collection, um, we have the bombs away uh, faceplate from the Enola Gay. Um, given to a gentleman from uh, Captain Tibbets years ago. Uh, and he described watching the light right above the bombs away. But we also have something from uh, Nagasaki. Nagasaki was the second city to be hit. Most people don't know Christianity was banned in Japan up until about 1900. Nagasaki was the hideout for Christians. Uh, It had become the underground Christian uh, area of Japan. And when they made it legal to be Christian, uh, they built a giant Catholic church, a a, a cathedral there. That cathedral was only about a thousand yards away 
from ground zero. If you look for it online, you should, you should look for it. It is incredible. You look for it online. It is a massive cathedral. They were in prayer uh, and having mass at the time. Uh, and it was really pretty much completely vaporized. You can see where one of the towers kind of was, but everything else is just gone. There was a bell in the bell tower. It survived, and uh, it is now in the Remembrance Park in Nagasaki. And I believe they ring that bell uh, every year as a reminder. There was one other bell that survived that same church, and it's a lot smaller. And I'm doing our investigation on it right now, so we're not sure if this is accurate. But we believe this was uh, one of the communion bells. So when communion would be uh, served, it would be rung, the bells uh, would ring. And this is one of the bells. This is the only other bell that survived from that church. Can you read what it says on it? Uh, Angelus Nagasaki. Yeah, and it's in Japanese on the other side. And it is uh, stained, they think, from the blast. Would you hold it up and ring it, Pat? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have a ringer, so. Oh, did you guys take out the ringer? Uh, I put the ringer in. Yeah, no JP, no get, go get the ringer, would you, and put it back in. I know we don't want to ring it very often, but I think it's... Yeah, I think it's appropriate as we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. You know how to put that in there? This was, I've tried to get that bell for 15 years. Still rings, even after uh, having been through an atomic blast. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And by the way, uh, the reason why I'm not holding these up or showing them or even in the room is we haven't had any radi- radiation check on it yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, no, that so helps. I'm that sure, helps. Pat, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure it's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't actually, we have not done a Geiger counter test. We just all assumed they're, they're these fine. Things. We should. You're fine. <laughs> of course. What was it? They always Who's got said, a Geiger counter. You'd have to. You'd have to vacate the area for ten thousand years before things are not radiated yeah. anymore. It's been what seventy. Right. That's pretty close. <laughs> it's, pretty <laughs> it's pretty close. close. And we washed it. You're wearing. You're yeah, wearing got clothes rubber on. gloves. <laughs> yeah. So. Stand so. up and look at your chair. Is there an x-ray burned into your chair? <laughs> <laughs> Big outline of my butt cheeks uh, on the chair. Yes. Uh, yeah. Isn't that great? That's... You know, it's, <sighs> what's so amazing is those of us who are older and grew up in the era of the Cold War and the bombing and, and everything else, and our, uh, my parents and grandparents remembered the bomb, there was a healthy respect for the danger of that kind of weapon. Now it just seems to be like, hey, they might use nuclear weapons. 
And nobody seems to really talk about the grand effects of using a nuclear weapon. It's a little disturbing. Maybe we should, maybe we should take our kids to Oppenheimer and uh, make sure they understand the ramifications. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Christopher, how are you, sir? Doing very well. How are you? I'm I'm so happy for your success and so happy uh, for all of the things you've done. Uh, so few people have done as much as you have. So congratulations and thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Uh, America's Cultural Revolution. Tell me what your your push is here in the book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, America's Cultural Revolution. It's my new book. It opened at as the number one bestseller on Amazon last week. And I think it's doing battle with your new book on the uh, bestseller charts currently. But the basic story is this. It it traces the 50 year history of the radical left's long march to the institutions, beginning in the Marxist Leninist revolutionary movements of the late 1960s. Um, going through academia, going through the uh, K through 12 school system, weaving its way into the DEI departments and major corporations, and finally coming to full fruition in that turbulent summer of George Floyd in 2020, when I think many Americans finally understood uh, that the left had really seized all of those cultural institutions that matter. I explain exactly where it comes from, exactly how the ideology works, and most importantly, exactly how it's attained power so that conservatives can start understanding how to formulate a, a solution. So can you give me those three points um, in the time that we have, kind of summarize? Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and the book is divided into the theory of revolution, the theory of, of race and how that uh, is used to gain power, um, education, so pedagogy, meaning uh, how kids are taught. And so this is something that the left has thought very deeply about. They have thousands of activists fanned out across the country uh, trying to figure out how to make your kids uh, think in the same ways that they do. And and then finally, uh, the the last section of the book is about power. So a lot of conservatives feel that we can simply win the intellectual debate, that politics is an Oxford debating society. And if you have the better Mm -hmm. points, you have the better arguments, you have the better facts, you win. But I show that that's actually not always true. I wish it were true. But in the real world, the left attains power in many cases, no matter how bad their ideas are. So I outline exactly what they do, how their political practice works. Um, And and I think that this is really new territory for a lot of conservatives, even very uh, literate conservatives who love to read about the history of ideas. Um, This is about how ideas gain power. And that's that's what I try to do in the book. So how do what what is it the main thing that you think conservatives don't understand about um, defeating this or or dealing with this power? I think the main thing conservatives don't understand is that um, institutional power requires the governance of institutions and institutions are not governed by uh, uh, the, the laws in the books, the policies in the training manual, all those those are important. You actually have to have your people staffing those institutions. And so if you look at K through 12 schools, for example, the radical left, I mean, really, truly, the neo-Marxist left controls all of the graduate schools of education that train our K through 12 mm-hmm. teachers. Um, they're teaching Paulo Freire's Marxist theory. They're teaching critical race theory. And 
conservatives, if they wanted to have an influence to the same degree on on K through 12 education, would actually have to get conservative graduate school students, conservative professors, conservative administrators. And it seems that conservatives have been content to uh, occupy themselves with their own family, their own churches, their own businesses, perhaps. But they've ceded the active governance of cultural institutions to people who hate them. And, And all of a sudden they're waking up and thinking, wait a minute, we have to either recapture these institutions or we have to build alternatives. And my argument at the end of the book is, of course, we have to do uh, some of both. So, Christopher, you know, when we were hit by um, Al Qaeda, the country was asking, what do they hate us? Why do they hate us so much? And people say, well, because of our freedom. I, I didn't think that was it. I think it's because we engaged in uh, some really dark stuff all around the world. And we are not who we say we are um, many times, especially in the Middle East. But why do these people hate us so much? Uh, you know, I think that in the immediate term, they, they, they view can the average conservative family or conservative citizen as an impediment to their utopia. And so what I found so fascinating in, in the book is that all of these revolutionary figures from the 60s who've really laid out the, 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 the groundwork for what we see today were genuine believers in the utopia. They had an idealistic uh, temperament in most cases, but in all cases, it grew sour. They grew disillusioned. They grew angry. They grew resentful. And so you can see this emotional arc. And I think that's where really the modern left begins. It's, it's, a, it's a group of people who oftentimes are, are very smart. They're very idealistic, but they're very frustrated at what they see around them. And it turns into a kind of resentment towards people who are viewed as, as either successful, but also people who are viewed simply as average, middle class, content with their lives, occupied with their local communities. Um, these are uh, barriers to their revolution. And so they, they, they want to, um, first and foremost, change the system of government to, to take power over them, but also even take power over their kids by changing how kids learn and, and really fomenting revolt of the child against the parent. And that's what we see as the key symbol throughout this revolution. I mean, this is truly a a revolt of of children against their parents, symbolically, archetypally, and then also in many cases, quite literally. If you were sitting in a map room and you came in and we were losing the war and I'm Churchill and I said, cross the road, what do we do? What what would be your plan of attack? What what do we need to do? And what are the odds that it works at this point? I think that there are uh, really a, a few key strategies that I would recommend. First, I would recommend reforming American civil rights law, which is often used to force these left wing ideologies well beyond the bounds of colorblind equality. And so I would go in, I would have executive orders lined up, legislation, trying to get some cases before the Supreme Court to, to restrain the civil rights bureaucracy so that it can't force, you know, diversity trainings and CRT trainings, but actually just ensures that Americans are treated equally. Second, I would get, as we've done now in seven states, universal school choice so that parents can take their taxpayer dollars out of the public school system and into any other school of their choice. That's going to shift you know, billions of dollars in resources towards creating alternative schools, religious schools, private schools, other kinds of schools, home schools, where conservatives can start to have institutions that reflect their values they can invest. 
And then third, I think we need strong action from state legislatures. Just Governor DeSantis has started this in Florida of, of retaking some, some of the administration in public universities. And, and I have a personal goal, Glenn, of, of reforming uh, state uh, higher education policy to recruit 1,000 conservative professors in the next 10 years. And I think even a, a, thousand, uh, a, a thousand academics that are aligned with us, that create materials uh, and, and research and scholarship, that's going to be enough of a counterbalance at the beginning to, to reshape the dynamics within academia. How are you going to get that through? I mean, especially, I mean, just, just talk about school choice, universal school choice. Even in Texas, they refuse that because the Republicans in many states that are wildly red, they are still beholden to the teachers unions and they are, those teachers unions are so powerful. Well, there, there's a way to do it. And I think Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, um, who actually had the first universal school choice bill passed through his state legislature, the first one in the country, you know, he, he, he told me something quite interesting. He said, hey, we had the same problem in Arizona. Rural Republicans uh, were, were hesitant to do this. They didn't want the, their Friday Night Lights football um, impacted. So he made a deal where he essentially horse traded. He said, hey, look, We'll increase public school funding by a billion dollars. You're going to get a ton of money from the legislature to invest in your public schools, your athletic programs. But in exchange, we want to give everyone a way out. And now a billion dollars a year, approximately, has been taken by parents and then invested into school alternatives. This is within just two, two years of this program. And so um, you have to go and do the old school backroom uh, political, you know, cigars in the backroom horse trading. And sometimes you have to write a big check to get those few Republicans that are beholden to the teachers union, overwhelm them, sweeten the deal, do whatever it takes, because long term, um, this is more important than any short term budgetary outlay. So our institutions have been so overtaken by um, uh, the ESG culprits that Budweiser doesn't seem to care at all that it's just destroyed itself. Disney doesn't seem to care that it's destroyed itself. And I think Disney is a, they're not really being forced from the outside. They're gone from the soul. Um, but all of these uh, ESG companies now, is there a way to turn that around? I think there is. I think if you look at ESG, you have to think of it as a, kind of parallel civil rights bureaucracy that is uh, organized by cartels and, and uh, yes. you know, kind of corporate cartels, right? And so just like with the civil rights law in, in the United States, which, uh, which needs significant reforms, um, and, and the answer is quite simple. It's you have to get the people through their elected legislators uh, creating general laws that, that govern the, the republic. And so we need a revival in the legislative uh, capacity and creativity and, and, and commitment. And you can simply say in the United States, the law is that corporations that are chartered by the state, you know, you actually, the com companies are chartered. Um, they have to be uh, uh, prioritized uh, return on investment. Uh, the goal of a, in a capitalist economy is, is to maximize profits. Um, and then these specific facts, facets of, of ESG style investing are, political ideology, political activism, um, and, and, and it is restricted for 
public publicly traded companies. If you want to have a small business and you want to have a you know communist bake shop and and not charge anyone any money, that's fine. But if you are a, a multinational company, you have pension funds investing in you, you're listed on the stock exchange. Um, I think legislators are well within their right to shut down uh, uh, policies, r- really kind of cartel-like policies like ESG. Yes. Christopher, what was the biggest thing uh, since you started this whole thing? What, what is the most shocking thing you found? Something you're just you're still today, you're like, I can't, I can't believe this. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you something from the process of writing this book that, that, that still shocks me is I spent a lot of time digging into the archives and reading the revolutionary pamphlets and manifestos from the late 1960s, from the Black Panther Party, the Communist Party USA, the Black Liberation Army, the Weather Underground. And, and, and these are documents that really haven't been read in many, many years. And what I found was, that was so shocking was that all of the concepts, all of the phrases, even many of the arguments that I've been seeing the last couple of years in K through 12 school curricula in the kind of critical race theory uh, world resemble to a T the ideas, the concepts, even the exact phrases that I found in those revolutionary manifestos. And so you have this immensely shocking uh, um, translation trail from the fr- I mean, I mean, it's really the, from the fringes. These were people who wanted to overthrow the government by force. Correct. And now their ideas are in your child's kindergarten classroom. I mean, that, that to me is just it, a, a shocking demonstration of their own triumph. Uh, I have many of the old professors from Chicago, um, uh, their libraries after they died, a friend of mine would go in and, and gather the libraries and sell some of the books and all of the radical stuff including handwritten notes and papers inside of these books. I probably have the largest library now of these kinds of radicals from the 60s and 70s. Uh, You're more than welcome to peruse through it if it would ever help you, Christopher. Oh, that'd be amazing. I'd love to do it because, look, as you know, and as a collector of this, you have to understand what we're dealing with today. You have to understand where it comes from. I mean, if you don't understand where it comes from, you're operating blind. And so... The goal of the book is to do that, is to show conservatives from conservative parents all the way to conservative uh, policymakers. Um, this is what you're up against. These, this is how they operate, and this is how to defeat them. Christopher, I'd love to have you on again, maybe even a podcast, uh, just to talk about your book, because we have so much to discuss, and, uh, and, and, uh, and you have a lot to teach. Christopher Rufo, the name of the book is America's Cultural Revolution. America's Cultural Revolution. It is available wherever you get your books now. Christopher Rufo, thank you. Na, na, na.